Hey, one more time, let's give our worship team a, a hand, a round of applause. Fantastic. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I need to share something before we get started. If you drive a black BMW, Vols license plate, uh, your lights are on. So just FYI, you might want to go turn those off. All right. <laughs> I'm sure somebody's got some jumper cables that they can help them out with, but uh, hopefully it's not ran down. But anyway, I wanted to share that with you guys. Uh, hey, listen, before we get started, um, one of the things we've been doing this week is just, uh, of course, I'm sure everybody's well aware of the situation and circumstances that are happening in Israel, and you've probably been following that closely on the news. And uh, when you study and read the Bible, you know how important Israel is and uh, how God has his hand upon the people and nation. And, and so like, there are events that are unfolding right before our very eyes. And it ought to bring an encouragement. We've talked about things like that over the last uh, several weeks. Uh, just talking about that one day the Lord is going to return. And all these things that are happening are going to come to pass. And so it ought to bring encouragement to you to know that God's word is true. And that there is hope in God's word. And so don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. But uh, I looked and seen of like how we could help. I've talked to some people who are connected out there. Um, and uh, just said, like, you know, is there anything that we can do to send resources, things of that nature? Uh, everybody told me that, uh, not that they know of, there was a couple of organizations that were taking monetary donations, uh, but they told me, it's like, to be honest, I don't know exactly what that money goes to or for. And so, uh, uh, you know, right now we're just kind of uh, just praying. And so I wrote down some things of, uh, that I thought about, like, you know, if nothing else, we can, we can pray and we can continue to seek God's leadership and trust God's plan and his will. And so if you want to write these down, I'll share this later on uh, on my social media page if you want to kind of get a, um, um, have a copy of this yourself. But uh, just talking about how we as believers, how we as Christians can pray for Israel. And the first and foremost things I think that we think that we should always pray for everybody, but also people who uh, are of this nation. But I think first and foremost, we should pray for repentance to Christ. Uh, in Romans 1 uh, or Romans 11, 26, verse 27, you can look and you can see that. Uh, I believe we ought to continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I believe that that's important. Psalm 122, verse 6 I believe we should pray for protection and safety, uh, Psalm 121, verse 4. I think we should obviously pray for the wisdom of leaders uh, all around uh, the world, and particularly uh, this group of people, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. I believe we should pray for blessings and prosperity, um, Genesis 12, 3. I believe that we should pray for justice, and as we see and read in Amos 5, 24. And then uh, the last thing is to continue to pray for reconciliation and restoration, Matthew 5, 9. I believe those are things that we could consistently pray and lift up to the Lord. And uh, if there's anything that changes or any way that we can serve or help, I will let you guys know. Uh, but continue to be in prayer with that. If you got your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 15. So last week we talked about and we kicked off the series entitled The Dash. And on every tombstone, right, there's a beginning date 
And there's an end date. There's beginning of life to where that you were born into this world, breathe your first breath. And then there comes a point in time that every single one of us are going to face and come to, unless Jesus returns prior to us going this route, is that we're all going to breathe our last breath at some point in time. And that is our ending date. But every tombstone has the dash. And what the dash represents is the life that was lived. It's the life that was lived. And we think about this like we only have one life. And the scripture tells us in the book of James that life is like what? What does it say? It's like a what? Have a little church this morning. What does it say? It's like a vapor, right? It's like a mist, right? It's here for a while and then it's gone, okay? And so it goes by very, very quickly. How many of you could say amen to that, right? So like you, one day you're in middle school and now you just woke up this morning and you're 55, right? And you don't know, like, so anyway, it's like, Things change over the course of time. And so, uh, like, it goes by very, very fast. It's fleeting. But the most important thing that matters in your life is the answer to this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? What are you going to do with Jesus? Is he Lord of your life? Has there been a point in time in your life to where that you have humbled yourself before the Lord, to where that you realized that you weren't good enough to work your way to heaven, that you were dead in your sin, as the scripture says, that we were dead in our trespasses and that we desperately needed a savior. And that's why Jesus came on the scene. He was God in the flesh who ultimately went to the cross, who ultimately shed his blood, who ultimately died, buried, resurrected, ascended into heaven one day is coming back. And so we know that and we can have hope in that as believers, but it's important that everybody knows that. Who is Jesus in your life? And the dash determines that. What have you done with Jesus? And so what you do with Jesus determines where you're going to spend eternity, right? So that's what we've been talking about, right? There's one or two places that people are going to spend eternity. There's heaven. And as we talked about last week, heaven is a real literal place. It's not a figment of our imagination. It's not a fairy tale that's just passed down generation after generation after generation. Jesus said that, listen, our hope, right? We talked about last week how our hope is found in a person and a place, right? The person being Jesus. He is the son of God. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is who makes us right with God. It is his righteousness that we are clothed in. Not our own goodness, not our own good deeds, but we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And he reconciles us to a holy God. He makes us right. So our hope is found in a person and also a place, right? Jesus said, I go to prepare a what? A place for you, a literal, tangible place. And so we talked about how that there were three different heavens in the scripture when we read. And sometimes that can be a little bit confusing for people. And so when it's talking about the first heaven, it's talking about the sky, right? When we look up and we see the beautiful blue sky this morning, the clouds, and we see the birds flying through it. And some people don't believe that birds are real. And that's a whole nother uh, message, you know, within itself. But God created that. And, and, and so like when we look up, we can see the beauty of the heavens, right? And then the second heaven talks about the planetary heaven. It talks about space, right? Where all the planets, the sun, the moon, the stars, and God created that, right? How did God created that? Think about this for a minute. He spoke and it came into existence. That's how big, that's how great, that's how mighty, that's how wonderful God is. And so there's the planetary heaven. And then there's what we call the third heaven. And that's what Paul was talking about. And he says, when I was caught up into the third heaven, right? That's the literal, tangible 
place. It's the city of God. It's the kingdom of heaven that we've all heard about. And it's a real, literal place. And we looked at how it had streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl. But listen, if it didn't have any of that, it had more than enough because there Jesus will be ruling and reigning and all things will be made new. And what a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time it's going to be. So I hope that you have made reservations because we talk about there's also a book of life and it says whoever's name is written in the book of life and the only way that you can be written in the book of life is to have a personal relationship with Jesus okay it's not by church attendance it's not a matter of how much that you can recite or remember or uh, memorize scripture it's a personal relationship with Jesus have you surrendered have you confessed your sins unto the Lord and when we do that all heaven rejoices and your name is written in the book of life and there's nothing Nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ all throughout the dash. And so what you do with Jesus matters. You're either going to spend eternity in heaven or, as we'll talk about next week, hell is also a literal place. And it's not a popular thing to talk about within our culture, right? It doesn't, we, people have a lot of thoughts, people have a lot of questions, and people have a lot of concerns about God when we talk about hell. So we're going to look and we're going to open up God's word because I believe it's important. Do you know that Jesus talked a great deal about hell? Do you know that Jesus in the scripture warns us about hell over and over and over and over again? It's God's desire that no one be there, right? We know the scripture in John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, what does it say? Should not perish, right? God loves all people that nobody should perish, but he desires for everybody to have everlasting life. So what you do with Jesus in the dash matters. And the truth is, is that we're going to spend eternity somewheres. And so today we're going to look at part two of heaven because as again, I was diving into this and just digging into this and thinking about questions over throughout the years. People have asked a lot of questions and they have some concerns and thoughts and, and all these are good questions. And so one of the things that I want to tackle and I want to look at today uh, is people have often asked is like when the resurrection takes place and when we're in heaven, what is our bodies going to be like? Have you ever thought about that? Like when it talks about that we'll have a new body, what does that mean? What does that look like? And, and, and how's that going to transpire? How's that going to take place? And so today we're going to open up God's word because I think it's highly, highly important. I don't think I know that it's highly, highly, highly important to whenever that we have these, those thoughts and we have those questions and it's good to have questions. It's good to seek answers. And here's the truth. Like we should always allow the Bible, God's word to be the filter of how we answer that, right? Don't let our opinion or our thought or what grandma or grandpa said, they may be great ones wonderful people, but let's ultimately go through the scripture. And even like on a Sunday morning, whoever, whether it be me or whether you hear somebody else preach, you should always check out the scripture to make sure that what is being communicated is true. And I want you to know that no, that every Sunday that I come, like I have, I take it very, very seriously. And I want to make sure that what I say is true according to God's word. It's not just my take. If it's my opinion on something, I will tell you the scripture isn't clear on this. Here's my opinion about it, you can take it for what it's worth. It doesn't mean that it's scriptural. It doesn't mean that it is so. It's just my thought. It's my interpretation. It's my opinion on a particular matter. But we should always go to God's word, no matter who is teaching, no matter who is preaching, make sure that it lines up 
with the word of God and that it is absolute truth. So what about our bodies? And here's the deal. You're not the first people to have those questions. We're not the first people to ever think this or talk about this. Matter of fact, Paul wrote a letter to the church at Corinth back in the day, and he addressed a lot of things. Now, he, there was a lot of turmoil within the church. Uh, Corinth was a very worldly place. It was the last place that you would ever deem that a church would be birthed and a church would be started. I always give it the, uh, uh, it's very similar to probably what Vegas is, right? And it's commerce and it's worldliness and all the things that you could get into and be a part of. Corinth was that place, but God birthed the church and God began to do a great work, and Paul was a part of that. And later on, he writes to address a lot of the issues that were happening within the church that are still problematic today, by the way, right? God's people are still people, and people still need the grace of God, and sometimes we're our own worst enemy, and we can learn a lot of things from that. But as we look here in chapter 15, one of the things that had been asked was, what about our bodies? When the resurrection takes place, what does this look like? What does this mean? And so Paul begins to describe some things that are very, very important. And he talks about the next sequence of things that are going to transpire and takes place and outlines really kind of like what this makeover looks like, right? If you just kind of want to kind of deem it as like bodies by Jesus, if you will, right? You remember all those videos back in the day, bodies by so and so, right? These are bodies by Jesus. And so we're going to look and we're going to see uh, that's about as creative as I got with that. So anyway. Let's look in verse 35, and as he begins to address this and talk about this of chapter 15. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised, and what kind of bodies will they have? Now again, as I talked about several weeks ago, death always precedes resurrection, right? In order to be resurrected, we have to die. We have to take our breath uh, last breath. So a requirement for a new body to be resurrected from the dead is to experience death unless the Lord returns. And it will happen to all of us, right? We talked about how one out of every one person dies, right? Those are the statistics. And so Paul responds to this question in verse 35. And by the way, like he's very tactful in this next verse right here. Like they've asked the question, like, what's this going to be like? What's this going to look like? And I want you to hear why, how Paul responds. He says, uh, he's real tactful right here. He says, what a foolish question. Now think about that, like if you're at church getting the letter and Paul's writing this and he's addressing the things and he's saying like, what a foolish question. And he's, here's what he's mean. He's not trying to be mean. He's not trying to be harsh. But he said, when you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow unless it first what? Dies. Think about that. It doesn't grow unless it's fine. He's saying, don't be ignorant or don't be foolish about this. There isn't anything that you can do about the resurrection until you die. These are things that must take place, that must transpire. That's why John chapter 12, verse 24 says this, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and what dies, think about this, it remains alone. But if it dies, it what happens? It produces what? Much fruit, right? This is what the scripture says right here, is that it produces much grain. So when our dash is over and when we take our last breath and the resurrection occurs, what will our bodies be like then? In verses 37 and 38, he talks about that. So I want you to look there with me. And he said, and what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow. Think about that, all right? Underline that. What you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it 
a new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. And so what he's saying concerning the body, he's making an analogy right here. If you think about it, right, when you plant something in the ground, let's say that you take a kernel of corn, you put that seed in the ground. Does a kernel come out of the ground? No, absolutely. Right. It starts to be like a green stalk. And it continues to grow and grow and grow. And then there's an ear of corn on that, right? It's completely different than what is put in the ground. And what happens, that seed dies and boom, life happens and that sprouts up and it produces great fruit. And this is what he's saying is going to be so, is that what goes into the grave when we die and when we breathe our last breath, our body that goes into the grave is going to be resurrected and it's going to be different. That's what he says. It's going to be different. It's going to be much different than the body that we have right now. And I'll explain a little bit more about that here in just a moment. But if you guys are still with me, say, I am. So when the, what the scripture is teaching us is that when our dash is over and we die and our bodies are buried, they go into the ground. On the day of the resurrection, they're going to come out of the ground differently, right? And that's important. It's important. And while I'm talking about that, let me just talk about cremation for a second, right? Because a lot of times people will ask me, right? Well, you know, should I get cremated? Or, you know, is that wrong to do that? Because like if I disintegrate the body, like what happens on the resurrection? Like if I'm, you know, in ashes and I'm poured out across the ocean somewhere, like, you know, am I just going to be kind of floating around and everybody else is going to have this great new body and I'm just going to be like... Well, you know what? You know, I, I, I made a bad decision. And like, so let's talk about cremation a little bit. Okay. Well, here's what I want you to think. First and foremost, when someone dies, right, they're generally embalmed. Some people don't go that route and have more of like a natural burial process, but people are embalmed and people see the body. There's a viewing and all those different types of things. Then the body is buried. And what happens to that body once it's put in the ground, even though that it's been embalmed enough to preserve it for people to view, what happens to the body? It decays, does it not? And so it's way different, right? The body's put in the ground. And so all the things of what it used to look like, it doesn't look like that, right? It decays over time. So here's the deal. Here's what I want you to know. Think about this. Think about people who have been in uh, disasters and destructions and, and things of that nature to where that they had no choice, but they were disintegrated. I'm not trying to be graphic or anything of that nature, but I just want to be practical to you. Think about those people over the course of the years, okay? So here's what he's saying. Listen, God is a big God. Think about how did God create man? He took dust from the ground, right? He formed man, and then what happened? God breathed the breath of life into him, and then what? Man became a what? He became a living soul. That's the God, right, who's going to raise him up from the dead. And it doesn't matter if your ashes are scattered across the four corners of the earth. The same God that took the dust of the ground, when he calls the dead in Christ to rise and we meet him in the air, he'll gather whatever he needs to gather. We will be with him in that moment. We will be transformed in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye. That's the God that we serve. It doesn't matter that if you have a natural barrier or if you're cremated, right? God will bring forth a new body. Whatever goes into the ground, whatever's burned up, God will make that that new. And all God's people said, amen. Our heavenly body will be different than our earthly one. Now, we're pretty much acclimated with our current bodies. We pretty much know and how they operate and so forth and so on. And, and, and you know this, as you get older, it gets a little bit harder to take care of this body. Right? Amen. Some of you know that very well because you're walking around with spare parts, right? You've already had to replace some things, right? You're walking around on a spare tire and all that kind of stuff, 
Right? But there's, there, in the next several verses, what Paul talks about is that there's going to be some distinct qualities concerning our new bodies. Once that we are resurrected, once that we are with Christ, right? he talks about that, that contrast our existing ones. In verse 42, he says, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. I love how the New King James Version says it. All right, here's, I'm going to read verse 42 in this translation. But it says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. This body is sown. In other words, it means that this body is buried, right? It's buried in corruption, but it's raised in what? What does it say? Incorruption, right? Corruption will take on incorruptions. So in other words, when we talk about our new bodies, our new bodies will be indestructible. Think about that. No more new spare parts. No more going to see people to kind of help us out with this twinge or tingle or all these different types of things. And this ought to be an encouragement, right, uh, that, that our new bodies will be indestructible. Now listen to me. There has only been one body in the history of time that we know that hasn't been subject to corruption. And that body is the flesh and bones of Jesus, right? We know that. That's what the scripture teaches. And the first thing that he teaches us ought to encourage us this morning, right? That he's teaching that our present bodies wear out. We know this and we understand this, but there's coming a day to where that our new body will be indestructible, no replacement parts needed. Now, verse 43 tells us some other things about our new body. So I want you to continue to follow along or you can follow along on screen. He says, our body Bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. I want you to underline that, right? They will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. So in other words, when it talks about our new bodies, right, we will have a glorified body. And a glorified body like the risen Savior, right? Think about this for a moment. When Jesus was risen, right, the scripture proclaims that he had a he had a glorified body body. That's why it says in Philippians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21 he says, "But we are citizens of heaven, and where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them, what does he say? Into what? Into glorious bodies, okay? Like his what? Like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under control, right? Our body will be transformed. So it's like the glorious body of Jesus. And this is why John writes in first John chapter three, verse two, he makes this statement. He said, we shall be like him. We shall be like him. Now we're not him, but we will be like him in the sense of that we will be no longer corrupted. Right now we're tainted. Right now we are broken because of sin. We are fallen. We fall short of the glory of God. But we will. there will come a day where our faith will be made sight, where God will make all things new and we will have an incorruptible body, right? We won't be tainted and we won't deal with sin any longer. We won't be uh, fallen. We will be made new into the image of Christ. And so this is why he says in verse 49 of chapter 15, he says, just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. In other words, what he's talking about is, is when he talks about the earthly man, he's talking about the first Adam. Like when you read in Romans, he'll talk about the first Adam. And when God created man, right? Adam was created. He is the first Adam. 
Adam. And in the beginning, right, there was fellowship. There was communion between God and man. But something happened. We can read about it in Genesis 3. Man sinned, man disobeyed God, and fellowship was broken. So from there on, we live in a sinful, broken world. And from that point on, everyone that was born has been born into sin. Everybody has a sin nature, right? It's in our DNA, if you will, that we follow our own ways, our own thoughts at moments and times, and we dishonor God. We don't adhere to God's truth. We don't adhere to God's plan for our life. And so we sin and fall short of the glory of God. If you agree with me, say amen. So the first Adam is a fallen Adam. He's he's broken. He's flawed, right? He wasn't able to live up and he wasn't able to keep the law. He wasn't able to keep the commandments. But then the scripture talks about how there is the last Adam. And listen, I know this is not your real fluffy sermon to where that we kind of get a PBJ and get out of here today. It's a steak dinner this morning, okay? And so it's a little bit hard to digest and sometimes it's a little bit hard to swallow. It's a little bit hard to process. But listen, I promise you, if you stay with me today and you dive into the word and you get rooted and grounded in the word, it'll be nourishing. It'll help you. It'll keep you. And listen, you can go another week without being hungry. Amen. All right. So listen, he's talking about the last Adam right here. And who was the last Adam? The last Adam was Jesus. Jesus came on the scene. And what did Jesus do? He was without sin. He was without blemish. He was the perfect spotless lamb of God. He adhered to all of the law. He fulfilled the law, all the prophecies and therefore and things that were talked about, so on. And then he ultimately finished his mission on the cross and he laid down his life so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled. Those who are sinful, those who have fallen short, which is all mankind, right? We're part of the first Adam. But the last Adam made a way where we could be right with God. And so our new bodies will be like the heavenly man. It'll be like the last Adam. We will be made new. We will be made whole. So here's a few things about our new glorified bodies that you can you can look and you can, uh, I'm going to give you some scripture that you can look at this morning that you can write down. You can go read it to yourself later. And I don't have time to dive into all of that because I've got to land this plane here in a few minutes and you can say amen to that if you want to. All right, nobody. All right, cool. We'll just keep going. All right, good deal. I gave you an opportunity and you didn't take it. Okay. But here's the thing. So what does that mean? So in order to really understand that, we have to go back to that 40-day period. Like when we're talking about Jesus' resurrection, after he was resurrected from the dead, he had a glorified body. And he lived on this earth. He was on this earth for 40 more days, okay? And people seen him. People talked to him. He fellowshiped. There's a lot of things that transpired and a lot of things that took place. But here's some things that I want you to know and things that I want you to see. And I want you to understand this. You can write this down about our new glorified bodies, okay? Number one, Jesus said concerning his new glorified body that it was real. It was a real body. Now, some people ask me, well, what's that body going to look like? And when I, you know, am I going to be 25-year-old Robert? Or if I'm going to be, you know, was I, I don't know that. The Bible is not specific about that. Like, I don't know. I just know it's going to be way better than what I have now. Amen? But it's a real body. 
You say, well, how do you know that? Well, you can look and you can write down in Luke chapter 24, verse 39. You can write these verses down. You can go and you can see there uh, in Scripture as Jesus was dealing with people. And it said, look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. He's talking to his disciples there. He said, touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. So Jesus said that his body was a real body. Look in John chapter 20, verse uh, 17. It says, don't cling to me. Again, talking to Mary. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God. Right? He said, don't cling to me. Right? In order to cling to something, it has to be real. It has to be tangible. So again, Jesus is alluding and telling us that his body is real. Look in John chapter 20, verse 27. Again, write these down, go back, and you can study it some more. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Put it in my side right here. All right, I want you to know, and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. He says, believe, right? This is real. This is tangible, right? It was legit. When we go to heaven, we're going to have real bodies. We're not angels. We don't have wings. We don't have harps. We have a real body. Like when people said, like, heaven gained another angel, that's not biblical. We don't go be angels, right? Angels are completely different. Matter of fact, when we get to heaven, the scripture tells us that we're going to sing a song that the angels can't sing. Because we've been redeemed, we've been restored by the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we're not angels, we have a real body that is incorrupted at this point, right? It's everlasting, it's indestructible. And so what else do we know about Jesus' body? Well, when we look and we study this 40-day period when he had been resurrected from the dead, not only was it a real body, but we know that Jesus ate on two occasions. Now, somebody got real excited right there. I got excited, like when I really dove into that, like Jesus ate on two occasions occasions, right? And so like he, 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 he prepared a meal for the disciples. If you look in Luke chapter 24, verses 42 and 43, right? He, he ate with the disciples. It said, still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched, right? Jesus in his new body he ate with his disciples. And I believe that we're going to eat in heaven, right? Amen? They'll probably be even better than anything we've ever tasted or experienced here. But in John chapter 21, verses 12 through 13, right, we also see another moment to where that Jesus is on the shoreline and his disciples had been out fishing and they notice and they see him and he is there and he's cooking and he's preparing breakfast for them and he tells them to come and eat. Now, what's implied right there, again, is that he ate with them. The scripture doesn't specifically say that he ate with them, but we know and believe that it is implied that Jesus took another meal. He was preparing that. Um, as they seen him and they recognized him. That's one of the things that we see is about Jesus's body is that he was known. He was real. He ate and he was known. I believe that's a great, wonderful hope and truth that we can have about heaven. Like you will be known. You will be recognizable. People will know you. You will know other people, right? People down through the years have asked this and wondered about this and talked about this. But when the disciples seen him, right, they were startled, but they knew who he 
was. Men, think about this, even towards the end of their ministry, after Jesus ascended into heaven. What drove them to continue to preach and teach the gospel? What drove them to, in the midst of suffering? What drove them in the midst of heartache? What drove them in the midst of death? Because they all died martyrs' death, right? And they were faced and they stood before Roman soldiers and said, listen, this Jesus that you talk about, you need to be quiet about him. You need to deny him. If you just simply deny him at this point in this juncture, you can live. But you know what they said? We can't stop talking about things that we've seen and things that we've heard, things that we experienced. This Jesus that was crucified, that we've seen placed in the tomb, is the same Jesus that we've seen resurrected from the dead. It's the same Jesus that we've seen ascended into the heavens. It's the same Jesus that we believe that one day is coming back. And they couldn't be quiet about it. He was known. And I believe that when we experience death and we are resurrected in the newness of life through the grace and the goodness of Jesus and we have a new body that's incorruptible, that's not tainted by sin any longer, God has great, wonderful gifts for us to experience. But I also believe that we will be known. And man, I don't know about you, but I've got some treasures laid up in heaven through the years. And I look forward to seeing friends and loved ones that have gone on before me. And I believe that they will know me and I will know them. And I believe that we'll know things that we didn't know here on earth. All things will be revealed, right? God makes all things new. That's why the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, now we see things imperfectly. Right now we're limited in our understanding. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then, talking about again, when there is new things transpiring and taking place, we have our new bodies when we're in the presence of the Lord, then we will see everything with what? Perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. We will know others and be known. Is there anything else that we can understand from this 40-day period? And I'm fixing to finish up right here. Well, one of the things that we see about Jesus' glorified body is that it also had no limitations. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, at the moment, we're limited, right? We're limited by time, matter, space, all those different types of things. We run down quickly. However, our new bodies will have capacities not known to us right now. Now, here's something I want you to check out. Matter of fact, just look at your neighbor and say, the Bible's about to blow your mind right here, okay? If you don't have a neighbor, just look at the wall and tell your shadow, okay? All right? The Bible's about to blow your mind right here. Check this out right here. John chapter 20, verse 19, shares with us that Jesus just appears into the room without opening the door. That Sunday evening, verse 19, the disciples were meeting behind. What were they meeting behind? Locked doors. Because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They were afraid that they too were going to be taken captive. They were afraid that they too, like Jesus being crucified, man, they were going to suffer. They were going to go to the cross and endure suffering, heartache, death. They were running for their lives. And then suddenly, right, even though the door was locked, suddenly Jesus was standing there. And he said, peace be with you, he said. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have been a little bit, you know, taken by that a little bit. I don't know about you. 
I kind of visualize this. This is how shallow I am sometimes, and I think about certain things. But my first thought, if you're a Star Wars fan, you'll appreciate this. If you don't like Star Wars, you don't care about this. But anyway, I just kind of looked, and Jesus was there like, these are not the droids you're looking for. These are not the droids. <laughs> Move along. Like, anyway, but he said, peace be with you, right? Peace be with you, right? This is what the Scripture teaches right here, is that he looked at the disciples, and he said, hey, listen, I don't want you to be afraid. But he wasn't bound by limitations. And then the last thing that I want to share with you is that in this new body, it'll be a spiritual body. Now, we've already determined that it'll be a real tangible body. But what does it mean to be a spiritual body? Well, verse 44, Paul talks about this. He says, they are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. In other words, Words We've alluded and we've talked about this, but I just want to clarify what he means in this particular chapter. He's saying that our new bodies no longer are waging war. And if our worship team wants to come up at this time, you can go ahead and do that. He's saying that our new bodies are no longer waging war against the flesh. But I want you to think about this. But we will forever be controlled by the Spirit of God. Think about that. Right now in this body, there's a battle that transpires every single day, right? It's a spiritual battle. The scripture says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? And sometimes we're overtaken and we're overcome. We give in to the flesh. But there's coming a day to where that that battle will be no more. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. There won't even be a need for the sun and the moon anymore because Jesus and his glorious and his radiance, right? He will be the light and he will reign supreme on there. And it's going to be a great, incredible time together. But we'll no longer be wrestling with the things that we wrestle with. That's why Paul talked about in verse 50. That's why he states in that verse that we couldn't inherit the kingdom of God right now in our natural state. In this moment in time, what he's talking about is, is like in our sinful state, like we couldn't inherit the kingdom of God. But through the grace and the goodness and the glorification of Jesus, right? So there's some biblical terms, right? The scripture talks about three different things. It talks about regeneration. Right? So in other words, to be regenerated means that there was a once point in time in your life to where that you were lost without Jesus and you desperately needed a savior. You came to that understanding. You confessed your sins. You called out to God. God saved you. God changed you. He regenerated you. You were a broken, sinful individual, but now you have newness in life through the grace and the goodness of God. You have a hope that is certain. You have a hope in a person and really in a place that's found and rooted and grounded in Jesus. And then the scripture talks about sanctification, right? Sanctification means that God's continuing to work out what he started in your life, right? In other words, you remember that song back in the day? Maybe if you grew up in church, you sang a song, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and stars. Think about that. Just a week to make the moon and stars and all that. And God's been working on some of y'all for a long time, right? He's been working on me for a long time. He's still working on me, right? It's sanctification, right? He's growing me. Each and every day, I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived that. I'll never arrive until the day that the Lord returns or that I breathe my last breath. My faith will end inside. And then there's glorification. And that is when Jesus makes all things new. We shall be like him. We will truly be his people and he will continue to be our God. Heaven is a reality and the grave has been defeated. 
And that ought to bring a real hope and an encouragement to each and every one of us. But let's not be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, right? Let's be working. Let's be serving. Let's be looking for opportunities to lift up the name of Jesus so that every man, boy, girl, children of all ages can know how much he loves them and how much of a plan that he has for their life. Let us be busy about the kingdom of heaven and making Christ known wherever we are, whether it be at the school, the grocery store, or at the ball fields. Wherever we are, let's always lift up Jesus so that people can be drawn to him. So my question still is today is that, have you made reservations? Do you know Jesus? It's not it's one thing to know about Jesus, but do you know Jesus? Have you truly surrendered your life to Jesus? If you don't, then I invite you to come this morning. And I invite you to come up here. I'd be glad to talk with you, be glad to pray with you. Or you can sit right where you are. I believe to have a personal relationship with Jesus, it starts with prayer. And prayer means that we're actually talking to a real, literal God. And when we cry out to God and when we humble ourselves before him and we confess our sin and we tell him that we need him, that we understand we can't work our way to him and ask him to forgive us and we believe in his, his truth that he is the son of God son of God, that he lived a sinless life, that he went to the cross, buried, resurrected, one day come back. I believe in that. I rest in that. And we surrender to that. Jesus forgives us. I don't know how he does it, but he forgives us. And man, he brings us back into fellowship with God, the father, even though that we're sinful, right? That's justification. That's one that I left out that we're justified. When you're in Christ, you're justified, right? That's a biblical term. Justification means even though that you are guilty, you have been declared innocent through the blood of Jesus. And I'm grateful and I'm thankful for that this morning. And if you call out to him, he'll be faithful to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Maybe today, looks and you just burdened down and today's been an encouragement to you. You just want to come pray and thank God. Then let the Lord have his way. Whatever the Lord leads you to do this morning, maybe you want to sit right where you are or stand right where you are. But just take this time as we sing this song to fellowship with the Father and do what he's leading you to do. Take that step so that you can honor and glorify him. Father, we thank you today. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the hope, the certainty that we have that's found in you. I pray, God, that you bless our time. Pray there be a freedom in this place. Maybe there's somebody watching online right now, Lord, who desperately needed to hear this. And maybe they're in their own home, in their own space right now. Maybe they need to reach out and pray to you. Uh, if they do that, listen, if you're online, then let us know in the comments and we'd love to follow up with you and help you any way that we can. But we love you, Jesus. We thank you and we ask it in your name. Amen. I want you to stand with me as we sing this last song this morning. And if you want to come pray, man, we open up this place. You come and do what the Lord leads you to do today.